This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Ron Thurston. Ron is the VP of stores at Intermix. He is the author of Retail Pride. He has been in the retail industry for over 30 years, always in the store operations world. He is a retail guru. I am excited for him to join us today. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks, Chris. This will be fun. I feel like it's going to be a good conversation in store. I think so. So, Ron, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So, as you mentioned, um, in October of 2020, I released my first book uh, called Retail Pride, The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career. And I know we'll talk more about that, but you know, that that was also kind of the result of those you know, 30 years that you referenced that seems like a long time and it feels like yesterday um, because I've really, I've loved being in stores, working in stores, leading stores, um, exploring the technology that's necessary in stores, the real estate side, product side, you know, there's retail is one of those industries that requires a really wide skill set, um, which is also why I find it so attractive and so many other people do, but I've worked for and led really great brands, you know, today running Intermix, which is part of Gap, um, but I ran Saint Laurent for the Americas as a ultimate expression of luxury. Um, I helped start Bonobos and the, the guide shop business model that they run with today. Um, I ran Tory Birch on the West Coast, um, West Elm, Apple. So I've definitely had some, some great brands, some like premier American brands. You have worked at some premier American brands, no doubt. Well, you mentioned uh, you have a book. We're going to get to that. Before we do, we're going to go to the part of the show called clear the air. I got three questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question one. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? So I will tell you the experience of publishing a book and all the subsequent work that has come with it has all, they've all been first time you know, experiences. So I've, you know, I've already spoken to you know, NYU students graduating in their fashion management programs. I'm, I'm mentoring um, a couple of students at Parsons. I've done you know, several podcasts like yours, been on webinars. I've been a featured keynote, you know, all in the last six months. And that is, that was new for me because I'm, I'm the guy that's been just in stores, leading stores, doing my work every day. And so this has been and having the ability to speak about retail with a level of optimism that I have uh, is been so much fun and very much new experiences. That's great. Second question. What is something most people agree with that you don't? <laughs> so I have maybe I have a controversial answer here. Um, that's not political. I started doing um, men's work, meaning like, um, kind of emotional, um, deep dive group work with other men, um, a couple of years ago, which in some ways spawned the book. Cause there was a lot of like, what are you going to do with your life? Kind of. So my answer to that question is, I think a lot of 
people think that men have a really hard time articulating their emotions. And I think that might be true on the outside, but when you put a bunch of men together in a safe space and everybody's crying, like that's actually really powerful. And I've, I'm learning to, you know, interact and, and I have a really fantastic men's group that I work with. That is not that we cry all the time. That's not what I'm saying, but you know, I think that there's okay. If you do, <laughs> there's some place um, where I think there's perception of men and how we manage our emotions. Um, and so the work with, I work with every man and it's been great, really great. That is a unique answer. These questions have been, they're newer. This is, I think the fourth time I've asked this set of questions and the answers have been fascinating. Last one. What is one skill you don't have that you wish you did? So I, um, I never learned how to play a musical instrument. I also never learned a second language. And so both of those things, I, there are skills I wish I had, but I, so I I've tackled this as I do many things in my life, i.e. writing a book and saying, I want to do that. Let's figure out how to make it happen. So I actually bought a guitar, bought everything, started taking classes here in New York City, like went and did the whole thing, practice at home all the time, like learning how to play the guitar. And I realized how hard it actually is and that it requires an immense amount of practice. So I will say the guitar is in the closet right now, but it's a skill that I am going to learn that I don't have that I really want to. Because I think, especially during my years at Saint Laurent, like all the cool like musician guys always shopped at Saint Laurent. And I was like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> be like cool musician guy. Yeah. But the, that, that's not going to happen right now. The, the one thing you mentioned, which was the second language is actually our last guest. That was his answer as well. And I, thinking about it, I think that is something a lot of people wish they could do, which is speak multiple languages. So, yeah, I definitely do. All right. Let's get to your book. What is Retail Pride about? Yeah, so Retail Pride, you know, and, so the, and the subtitle of the book is The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career. And those words were very intentionally chosen. So when I think about, you know, I want to write a book about retail. You, that was really clear. It's like it had to have retail. And the more that I worked on it, I'm like, this is about pride. This is about taking a conversation about loving what you do and being proud of it and being a little more um, confident about the industry you work in. So pride was a very intentional word. And as it can also be a controversial word, but it was important to me to use. And then you know, the, the guide. So the book is very tactical in some places of like, here's here are my thoughts on some things and here's how to put it to work. So it's a guide to celebrating your accidental career. So it, it is it's celebrating a career that for many people, which is a common theme, working in retail is accidental. You know, that you may have studied something else, done something else, worked part-time and fell in love. And so an accidental career in retail is pretty common. I hear it all the time. And to celebrate the fact that it's accidental. And that's the, the message is, while this might be accidental, and I know that you love it, actually start changing your perception of it or your perspective that and make it intentional because when you choose to make something as an intentional part of your life you number one take pride in it but then you also put in more work and so what's often missing from people in their retail 
careers are really great networking skills, community building, um, you know, kind of expanding their reach beyond the four walls of their store. So I wanted to say, here's an industry that's very accidental, that is highly influential in the, in the economy of the world, employs millions and millions of people, be really proud of all the skills you learned and say that this is an intentional career that now I'm going to manage my career and to celebrate it at the same time. And it's not, it's something I didn't do very well growing up or think about um, that this, while I loved it, I wasn't always proud to do it. I was always like, oh, I work in retail. Like I didn't ever say, yeah, like I'm a district manager at the Gap and like, I love it. I didn't do that. Is that because it's like, there's this insecurity about the perception of what others think of you working in retail? I do. I think that's part of it. I think it's also friends, family, college, colleagues, all of this. It's like, when are you going to get a real job? And that is not an uncommon response. And so I do think that there's a little bit of the lack of confidence is because it's not something you study so much in school and say, if I work, if I went to this school, I got this degree, I'm going to be great at retail. Retail is very much learned on the job. And it's about the brand you work for and the leaders you have. And so if you, if you say, this is all, I'm building my own kind of um, platform as a, as a retail leader, retail people growing up, that they don't always have the resources to say, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to get there. We kind of figure it out on our own. Interesting. Yeah. You've had some pretty big jobs. You were you ran the Americas for Saint Laurent, one of the most powerful luxury brands in the world. Yep. I think to most people, that's a pretty cool job. That's an exciting job. I I don't know if there's I I, I can't imagine anyone's like poo pooing that out there, right? Like, or anyone has any of you had some great jobs. I think. When did you make the transition from running like one store and then even going to the district manager to getting some of these really big jobs you had? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, and I think you're right. The St. Laurent job, no one would say, well, not be proud of that. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was in Paris all the time. Like I have celebrity clients galore. I had so much fun, but, but my message is really more for all the, everyone working in every mall in this country, every strip center, every CVS, like everyone that works in stores, this is really more, more for them. But I remember really clearly in like 1996, I believe I was a store manager for the gap. Actually it was a gap kids store in Beverly center in LA, which was the highest volume store in I think all of the Midwest at the time. And so I, and I loved what I did and I had built this really great team. And I had a surprise store visit from the VP of stores, SVP of stores, I think the week of Christmas. And I had done an overnight the night before re-merchandise, replenish. It was like December 22nd, replenish the floor. We probably had markdowns. I was like, we're going to finish the week strong. It's right before Christmas, you know, and very like Ron style. We can do this. And like went home, like slept for a couple hours, came back to the store to work more and had a surprise visit. And like three days later, I was a district manager of like, oh, well, now I have 10 stores. Here's a company car. And 
you know, and, and I had no idea how to do this job. So all of a sudden now I'm leading 10 stores and I had to just navigate like, well, how do I take these skills I learned as a great store manager and translate it? And I've just continued to build on this idea of, you know, be your best at all the core basics, but first and foremost, be great with people. And that even if you don't know all the technical skills of every operational aspect of your business, if you are exceptional with people that as a, in a multi-store leadership role, you have, there's a level of that people gravitate towards you in a way that's, that's really unique and special um, versus the, you know, there, there are multi-store leaders that kind of lead by the checklist. I'm going to visit today and we're going to go through our, our store visit checklist. Sure. And I actually approach it of like, I'm going to visit today. I don't want to get to know you. I want to spend time with your team. I want to maybe talk to some customers, like what's really happening here. And because I might not be back for several months in, in those examples of like running South America, I was only there a couple of times a year. I had to learn how to run a business in Mexico without knowing the language like we talked about. Do wish I knew Spanish then. And like how to how to run a luxury business in a foreign country. The only way I could do that was to listen and learn. Fascinating. Well, I want to throw a curveball and, and talk about something. So, you know, being a leader for a lot of these brands, you have hired and fired numerous people. One of the things that I think about and people say that, what is the greatest risk to retail? And I often say it's not e-commerce. The biggest risk to retail is how do we get the, the best, the brightest, the most talented to come to the retail industry? And maybe it's the perception that you were talking about earlier, but I, I think about you know, the, the best and the brightest and everyone wants a cool tech job and a gig economy. And that's what everyone's going to. How do we bring some of those? We have like really interesting challenges, dynamic challenges ahead in retail that we're trying to solve these really dynamic problems. How do we get the best and the brightest to come into the retail industry? Yeah, I, I think about this often because it. Um, it will require like that continued funnel of talent and love of this industry. And I think where, why I had some early success is because those years, you know, kind of jumping in like gap or limited brands or some of these had like the best in the industry leading these brands, best merchants, best buying teams, um, store design, you know, well-funded, you had all this infrastructure and, but it included a lot of training. And I, I am really grateful for the fact that I was mentored by these companies along the way of like, oh, this guy seems to know what he's doing. Let's give him a stretch assignment. Let's give him more responsibility. Let's really guide him along. And while it's always you know, your career is your own responsibility, companies that do that well and invest in their people upfront are those that are gonna win. So if you think about joining an organization and you're new in your career and no one's doing that level of investment, that commitment to your, to coaching and feedback that it's, it, you will look for something else because no one's really guiding you along the way because you come to it 
as kind of a clean slate of like, well, teach me everything, but you need great people around you and great leaders to do that. And so I, you know, I, I did, I chose great companies that were, that had important moments in their time to work for, but the, the industry as a whole has to continue to invest in people. And that a lot of that is training, hiring, and culture. You're putting stores first is that the tech tech might be the, the sexy part, but the stores are delivering the revenue. And to put that as the first most important part of your company and invest in, in the, the payroll and the training necessary to make it happen. Uh, I do, I do love hearing you know, like I'm partnering with Parsons and I'm doing some work around kind of students that are up and coming. And there's a lot of excitement about the retail space right now. Well, if, if you're a person who loves challenges and wants to solve big problems, retail is a good place to, to go. And it's a lot of innovations happening and forget about if you, like all the traditional things, which I would call the community building, networking, being around people, all those things are as important today as they were 20, 30 years ago. And now we have these new things, these, you know, you can't sit still. It's no longer just rack it high and let it fly. And it's more dynamic than that. Right. <clears throat> much, much more because there's so much more tech enabled yeah. in stores. So you, you have to be great at all of the things we've always had to be good at. So visual merchandising and operations and, and HR and, and all the, the, the traditional retail components, they're still there, but what's layered on top now is, Oh, and like all of my team all have company phones now and they're doing clientele. And there's probably chat coming in through the website on those phones and there may be live shopping opportunities. And so there's, there's a whole other component that's layered in now that you're right. You, you run, they run multi-million dollar businesses with um, a lot of often like self-taught skills. And that what, when I say that I am, I'm intentional because that's, you should be really proud of that. When someone sits down in front of me and they start to talk about their career and they almost do it um, kind of that lack of confidence that we reference. And I said, let me just tell you what you do every day. Like you run a multi-million dollar business, random store in random mall, still it's, it's at least a couple million dollars. And you are you're an expert in all of these skills. Your competencies are really high. Like all of that translates to any industry you want to work in, but you're really good at retail. And when someone just hears that for the first time, it almost makes them want to cry because they're like, no one's ever told me that before uh, that I'm a multi-million dollar business. I run a multi-million dollar business. Or I have oh, sales yeah. associates today. I have 25 plus salespeople that sell $2 million a year. You're a multi-million dollar business owner. You're a $2 million sales associate. Like, do you understand the impact that you have on, on your customer, on your team, on this company? It's gigantic. And they're like, oh, no, you know, I just do what I love. I'm like, that's great. But you should appreciate the fact that you are running a company by yourself and that generates millions of dollars a year. It's huge. So true. And that's going to lead me into the, the next question. As you know, we have a bunch of real estate people that listen to this. We have retail people. I'm going to ask an age-old question. Okay. The store performance, how much is it? The location 
versus the people in the store. <laughs> Knowing your audience, I, I know what they're going to want to hear. I'm going to say people. People. I've had real, and I'll give you an, like a couple examples. I have a store on Worth Avenue today that was a temp store in Palm Beach um, five years ago that today is generating Madison Avenue revenue because, and it's a, it's a very small square footage, probably a thousand square feet as two fitting rooms. It has temporary fixtures in it still. I actually did put in a new floor in 2019. And, it's, and while the location is okay, the team is amazing. And it's generating, it, we've got all the positive momentum of kind of Florida business happening right now, but the, the store itself is not that interesting. And I've, and I've had and spent millions of dollars opening St. Laurent stores. And if, but if the team uh, wasn't right, the store, and it could be a great location without the right team, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good the location is. One of the old adages is if the store that I've heard before, if the store does great, the store management and the team is amazing. The store does bad, oh, it's a bad location. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I do not believe that at all. I think you can take a, a bad location, put incredible people in it, and it will deliver exceptional results. Boom, drop the mic moment. Okay. I want to take us to the next part of our show called uh, The Story. And you have a story about a store that you were a part opening. What store? Where are we going? So I thought about this question a little bit, and I have opened more stores than I could even count. But I did have a funny story. So anyone that's opened a store in Hawaii knows that it can be really complicated. Like that it takes everything takes longer. Things move a little bit slower. Like Aloha Spirit <laughs> is alive and well in building a store in Hawaii. So I was opening a new Tory Birch flagship right on Kalakaua, Royal Hawaiian Center, two stories, three entrances, th like uh, at least two offsites. Manager's office was also offsite, highly complex business. And it was supposed to open on Black Friday. And so I was, I had to hire about a hundred people to work in the store that included a huge back of house team um, because all the inventory was actually offsite, really complicated. And I was there for about a month and it kept getting closer and it kept getting closer to Black Friday and we weren't getting permits. And the facade, so literally on Black Friday, I said, the facade of the building's not even down yet, but the store is done. I can't get permits to open. We're going to open the store anyway. And wow. so the, the, barric the facade, the barricade on the outside, we painted it navy blue, Tory blue, put a big logo on the outside. But the fun part is whenever you open a store in Hawaii, you have to have the, the land blessed. So we wow. ha also had to have this giant ceremony from all the like local tribesmen of the of the island um, with a lay ceremony and a whole thing going on. So here it is, it's Black Friday. I had to have a blessing ceremony from the local, the local tribe, the, the facade still on the outside. And there's literally a line of people to come in that went all the way down Kalakaua for like two blocks just to get into the store. Like from that was, and that was really fun. And I, I don't think I slept much for that whole Thanksgiving weekend, but what an, like, what an opening. And we like 
crushed it in, in revenue. I can't even remember how much we did, but like those moments, you know, in your retail career, it's like, we're just going to make it happen. We're just going to make it work. So th that's what I was going to get to. Like, what was the biggest takeaway from opening that store? I assume it's, you got to dig down and make it work, but you just but got to make it work. You just make it work. And, and you, you know, I think in those instances, it's where your leadership skills kick in and your ability to say, we've all worked really hard and we're going to, we're going to do this together. I am here to help us like get this done and put it to work. And with that kind of, well, that kind of attitude, people will follow you. And they're saying, no problem, Ron, like, we're going to do this, whatever it takes, we're going to make it happen. Like I have pictures of us, you know, at that ceremony, you know, the team, the huge team, and you can tell they're exhausted, but, and it's like, look at all these customers we're about to have like the longest day ever. And, but you do it alongside of them. And it wasn't like, Oh, Ron's playing. It's Thanksgiving. Ron's going home, going back to LA. No, like I needed to be there. And, but those moments and, you know, that, that particular GM, you know, became a multi-store leader for me, for all of, all of California, little California and Hawaii later on. So like these, those people that do it with you, then they take that next step. Like that's our responsibility to bring them along. Couldn't agree more. You mentioned you didn't have a permit when you finally opened that day. Was a permit in hand? We had a permit that would like allow us to do business, but like the, um, like the facade was all done in brass and special thing. And so the facade was not, the facade didn't have a permit, but we had a permit to open. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it took like another month, I think, before the facade came down. So every day you got customers coming in, but they got scaffolding up and they're doing work. It was literally like a plywood door with a padlock on the outside. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but people kept coming. They kept coming. Yeah. They didn't care. You know, the, the brand was really hot in Hawaii and in Asia at the time. So tell me about this blessing the land. When did you know that this was going to have to happen? You know, I, I'd known all along because I had op also opened a store in Ala Moana, but this one like was beyond. It was like 10 different um, kind of original inhabitants of the Hawaiian islands, like for generations that bless the land because it's all those, the Hawaiian islands are burial ground of all of these um, original inhabitants. So it's, you have to really give it its due respect wow. to like Kalakaua's, you know, at the time was a booming, a, a booming revenue generator for many luxury brands. One thing we didn't touch on that I wanted to touch on is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. You've been in operations and there's a bunch of real estate people on uh, that listen to this. What has been your experience in, in, in the real estate process in most of the places you worked, how, how brought into the process were you on the real estate side and what has been your experience from the op side on that? Yeah. So I'm, I've always been highly involved in that. So different versions. So I, when, when I joined Bonobos um, seven years ago, and they had started to, to test the waters of, of what a guide shop would look like. But they knew that they had, once we figured out what the model was going to look like and, the, and, and really was just me originally, kind of me and, and Andy Dunn and some uh, people who 
were part of the like the found the founders of of the company in that we didn't have any infrastructure in the office so you know i was designing the store fixture package i was figuring out how to merchandise the store i was hiring the team i you know did all of their training i taught them how to sell but the but once we figured out the business model and started to build the infrastructure then it's like now we need real estate and so we did outsource it through brokers but i was always involved did tours all over the country picked in the best we opened 20 stores in a year and like to literally i would go from store to store um and every two weeks like ribbon cutting every two weeks because we were rapidly expanding and but i was always involved um because you have to think about who is the customer where are they what do they need is this is this where that customer is going to be how do we um build the best possible business and 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 the cost that it takes to do that. Um, so always involved in, I think it's a really interesting side of our business, really interesting component. I love the part about that you've had excellent teams win in subpar real estate. How do they do that? So ec- excellent teams, excellent teams don't let bad real estate stop them. I think that that may be another like quote for you, but I really believe this is true. I think a great team that is assembled of entrepreneur with an entrepreneurial spirit and a drive to win. Don't, don't let weather traffic location, anything stop them. And there were really incredible stories of the last year in my own business of lack of traffic didn't let them let let it stop them. So I'll give you an example: South Coast Plaza, which is you know of course premier real estate um, mall lockdown. But South Coast Plaza says we'll let you sell in the parking lot. We'll put up a tent and we'll build this like a luxury um, selling selling place. You just have to bring the inventory and you can sell in the parking lot. And so we said, great, like let's do it. So the team took the best of the best of their inventory, moved out to the, to the parking lot at South Coast Plaza, called their clients, texted, you know, did all of the work that they normally do and said, we'd love to see you. You can't come in the mall. Uh, and they delivered results that were unbelievable. Wow. But they did it because they have relationships with their clients and a team that wanted to win. Nothing was going to stop them. And I'd, I love that the story of like the entrepreneurial spirit of like, how do we do mobile POS? How do we, what do we need to do to make sure we can still deliver business and most importantly, make our clients happy. And that happened in different ways for lots of businesses all over the country in the last year. So it, it can definitely, the right team can make a huge difference, even with the worst of circumstances. That is incredible. Congrats. Thank you. All right. I'm going to bring us to the last part of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Three questions. We call this retail wisdom. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Uh, so I, I'm going to say tower records and I'll oh. say this because um, they started in Sacramento. I think in the 1960 in Sacramento, where it's just, I'm from Lake Tahoe, but my family's in, in Sacramento now. And 
so I always had a fondness for like for Tower Records and I've spent most of my life in LA. So that's, that would be number one for me. I, I do miss like going in and to music stores. Totally get that. I totally get that. Question two, what's the last item over $20 that you bought in a store? Uh, so I have a bit of a sneaker addiction, as oh. many men do. Um, and <laughs> uh, I have on gold, gold, Golden Goose today. But the, um, so I, and I love the big like Nike flagships here in the city. So I am, I'm in there often like buying sneakers. Um, so I did buy like a, a new limited edition, like Nike training shoe recently that I love. I love that answer. Nike is one of my favorite brands, so I can connect with that. It's great. I mean, I waited in line to get in Soho. Unbelievable. I was that guy. Unbelievable. Last question. Yep. If you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? <laughs> um, so I don't have kids, but I love the toy aisle because I do think sometimes it, it there's like... um you can learn a lot about how we operate and like what's important when you look at the toy aisle, like the dolls and the toys and, um, and what's new and what's interesting. And so I actually kind of just enjoy being in there and seeing like, well, what are, what are kids playing with right now? Like, what are they, what's important to them? And, you know, it's just kind of inspiring to be in there and target does a good job. They do a great job. I can tell you Paw Patrol is what's going on in my house. I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. If you know anything about Paw Patrol, I've got every Paw Patrol thing known to man. So Paw Patrol. I'll check it out next time I'm in Target. Oh, they got a lot of Paw Patrol stuff. Every character. So it's great. Yeah. Well, listen, Ron, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Chris. It was a lot of fun. Where can people find your book? Yes. If you go to retailpride.com, so you'll, you'll find the links to the book. There's a link for, um, if you want to buy all copies through the publisher, um, and then link to all my social LinkedIn is the best place to find me. And the, the fastest way to get the book is, is Amazon or Walmart or Barnes and Noble. Um, but it's you know, for those, you know, the, those retail teams in your life, you know, you think about the audience of real estate brokers you know, the, the people who have, enjoyed it the most are all those store teams like district managers that have bought it for all of their stores like th those are like that's where the power really comes to life they they need to hear this message more than anyone because they do the work every day they they're on their feet all day and you know to be able to say thank you and celebrate retail for them they they're that target for me terrific right. thank you well thank you so much ron this is fantastic. Thanks, Chris. Talk and to you I, soon. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.